It's the Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by ANZ Home Loans for financial well-beings. And welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Breakfast for 2023, available, of course, every morning on iHeartRadio, Spotify and Apple and wherever you get your podcast from. It is a Wednesday morning, the middle of our working week and already March the 15th. And coming up this morning, uh, we're starting a new segment. Now it's called Real Estate 360, which is a snapshot of comments about the real estate industry from guests who have been on the Real Estate Breakfast and some of their comments and feeling about the real estate market. And what did you think of the Oscars? Wow, Steven Spielberg was probably the big loser of the night, but the big winner was everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm really looking forward to seeing the film. It won Best Picture. It won Best Lead Actress, Michelle Yeoh. What a story that she has. She got her first Oscar nomination and first win at the age of 60, and uh, she's really defining that 60 is the new 40, I think, for Michelle Yeoh. And Best Lead Actor, this is a fascinating story behind Brendan Fraser. He won it for a movie called The Whale, which was directed by Darren Aronofsky. Now, Brendan Fraser is not or was not prior to his win an A-list actor. And Darren Aronofsky tapped him on the shoulder and said, I want you to be in my film. And he did the same thing with Mickey Rourke, who was basically down and out, hadn't done a movie in years, and he brought him in for The Wrestler. What happened was Mickey Rourke, of course, won Best Actor for The Wrestler, and he has done it again with Brendan Fraser. So it's obviously a formula that works really well for Darren Aronofsky, and the best cinematographer. I was so pleased to see that All Quiet on the Western Front won it. That is an amazing looking film. What to buy, where to live and things to avoid every morning on the Real Estate Podcast. Well, there seems to be a lot of commentary around whether the Governor, Philip Lowe, is going to pause for April's expected rate rise. Now, there is, it seems, data that's indicating the accumulation of 10 consecutive rate hikes is having a bit of an impact on the economy. However, there is a but and that is that the RBA board has this strong tightening bias and forecast suggests that inflation will not return to the 2 to 3% target zone before mid 2025 and the governor whilst he says that he would like to pause will continue to be data dependent these are his words and the employment and monthly inflation indicators are both volatile especially in the first 2 months of the year so i kind of read into all of that that no probably it's not going to pause we will probably have another 25 basis points next month but we will wait and see now if you're celebrating your birthday today for the 15th of march many happy returns to you you are blowing out the candles with eva longoria she is turning 47 the rapper will i am is also turning 47 
And Jai Courtney, the Australian actor, is turning 36 today. You might remember him in Spartacus, the original first series, which starred the amazing Andy Whitfield, who was taken from us way too young. It's the Real Estate Podcast, across Australia, seven days a week. It's the main centre forecast. And around Australia, let's check on that all-important weather word. And in Sydney, good morning to you. We're expecting a mostly fine and sunny day with 29 degrees. In Melbourne, expecting a little bit of a cloudy day. In fact, quite a lot of cloud today with 24. Should be mainly fine in Brisbane with 32. And the sunshine continues in Perth. Plenty of sunshine for your Wednesday. Coming up next this morning, we are starting that segment called Real Estate 360, which is a snapshot of comments about the real estate industry from guests and some of their comments and feeling about the real estate market. So that is next. From first home buyers to property investors and everything in between. Every morning on the Real Estate Podcast. If we've got siblings listening to the podcast right now, and I guarantee you there will be, what are your top three pieces of advice, Victor, to siblings listening right now that they've really got to think about and cover off in an agreement or a contract going in on this basis of shared equity of a home loan? So the first thing is that we suggest is to, when things are really good and they're going well and in the planning stages of this, meet with somebody to talk through to documenting what happens if things don't go well, okay? So if this doesn't proceed as, and it doesn't work out for the best for both of us and things aren't aren't rosy, what have we got to do from there? You know, what are the, the steps that we go through so that we can get that rectified? That's number one. Number two is to look at the financial implications of it as well and understand what your responsibilities are going to be with the loan. You understand how the loan works, how it operates, who's going to, who's responsible for which portion of the loan and how that's going to work. And then the last thing to, to sort of think about, I would suggest setting up a, a fair accounting system or having an account each where you put money into so that you can track exactly who's put what money into the, into the property. If you can keep on top of that so that if anything happens in the future and you need to you know, be able to reconcile what's happened, you know exactly, you know, who's put in this share, who's contributed, you know, what, etc. Most people will do that by putting in 50-50 all the time. So if someone contributes, say, $500, the other person will do that at the same time as well. And your report throws up this question, it's not timing the market that is important, it is the time spent in the market that really counts. So our analysis really did support evidence for this argument. And it, what it really does showcase is you need to step back and look at property as a longer term investment. If you do that, you're really kind of viewing property as an asset that is that longer term investment. It's really hard to pick a trough. It's really hard to pick a peak. And when you take that step back, timing becomes much less important and picking that peak and picking that trough becomes much less important in your decision making. Like I jump in my car and if I get the red light, it'll take me 90 seconds to get to work. If I don't get it, it's 60 seconds. Where can you do that in a capital city? You can walk from your home to one of the best beaches in the world, which is rated Burley Heads, the top 10 in the world, surf beaches. And you can literally walk there. 
in 10 to 15 minutes. Man, it's insane. And most of the people here you know, around the Gold Coast, etc., working in these beach suburbs, they only live five, 10 minute drive. I mean, man, you live in Sydney, Melbourne, take an hour and a half. And that's on a good day. And what about first home buyers and also about employment? What is on offer there in Mackay? Yes, yeah. No, look, Mackay is very well placed in that it's got a nice broad industry mix. There's also some good opportunity for earnings too. Uh, if you've got skilled trade or, um, you know, labour, that's in very hot demand. They are working around the clock to keep up with client demand, but also um, struggling with the opportunity to have that skilled labour there to support and, um, you know, work with those clients clients that are demanding their services. So certainly for people that may be considering a move from the cities, Mackay is quite blessed to have a very low unemployment rate, um, a nice wide range of job opportunities on offer. And then uh, combined with the fact that, you know, it's uh, sitting, you know, more affordably in terms of the, the real estate, you know, entry price. And Noosa has been described as the playground for the wealthy, and they've certainly been turning up in their droves. They've been heading to Noosa to play and to relax on the Sunshine Coast. There just seems to be this appetite for Noosa, and like a lot of other areas, you know, this was very much undervalued for so many years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, undervalued is the um, key factor here because right up to 2020, we were selling so cheap, even though it was an increasing market. It's not just the rich and famous coming here. It's it's ordinary families from southern states and even from Brisbane looking for a better lifestyle. We have everything here. We've got the river, we've got the national park, we've got the ocean, whether you want surf or um, main beach where it's quieter. Every possible natural asset makes this an incredible place to live. It isn't necessarily the rate rise that is now making vendors wait. We had a very overheated market in Sydney. Coming in behind that, parts of Melbourne certainly heated up and so did Brisbane. The result of that, of course, is property prices flew up and became much higher than they'd been in the previous two to three years. To me, it's more the fact that in all of those markets, well, I guess with the exception of Brisbane suburbs, properties then got to the point where the price of them was starting to get out of reach of the average income earner. And suddenly we saw a lot less buyers in the market. So where before a vendor could put a property in one of those markets on the market and have interest within three days and probably a sale within a week, we began to see extended times even before rates really started to go up. And that's always a signal that the market is going to cool. So I think the interest rate rises have just pushed that a tiny little bit along, but we were always going to see around this time vendors deciding that they wouldn't sell now and they will wait for a better time and waiting. And I think if we don't have an interest rate rise next time around, which is highly unlikely, I don't think that situation is going to change a lot. I think vendors are still considering it could be a better time, maybe in a year, maybe in two to sell their properties. On the one hand, what you're talking about is the whole emotion when you buy something for yourself, as opposed to divorcing that emotion and just purely focusing on the numbers. Do you find some people struggle with that in the, in the beginning of starting their portfolio? 
Yeah, that, that's a that's a critical word in the beginning. We find a lot of first-time investors might have a comment like, oh, I want to live near the investment property so I can keep an eye on it, or I wouldn't live in that. And often I'll say back to them, well, you don't have to live in it. It's often the first-time investor who takes a little bit to divorce themselves from the emotion of it and realise, hold on, this is a wealth accumulation strategy. This is purely around investing my hard-earned money in the future, in creating a return on that investment. So it's a different set of behaviours, it's a different cash flow analysis, and with that comes a different mindset. We tend to find return investors are a lot more pragmatic, a lot more, I want to find the best region, whether it's in Sydney, Melbourne, Queensland, Perth, Adelaide, with the right fundamentals for the right investment, and that's part of a longer-term strategy. So it's often those first-time investors where we're talking, we're coaching about helping with them divorce themselves from the emotion and view it as a pure investment, like they would if they going into the share market or another sort of investment strategy. We connect you to the best real estate information across Australia. The Real Estate Podcast.